guys, this might be the first ever whispered podcast episode intro because my kids are sleeping and I don't have another choice. So this is just what we're going to do. Today, I'm super excited to have John Franco. He's a co-founder at Gorilla76, the industrial marketing agency. And John has hired writers like no one else I know. So today, John is going to teach us how he puts together his writing team at Gorilla, how he sources the best candidates through inbound and outbound, the questions that you need to ask every single candidate to make sure that they're the right fit, red flags that he looks for, and last but not least, what you need to pay a great writer in 2021 slash almost 2022. This is the latest episode of First Year of Content with me and John Whispered. Let's do this. John, how's it going? Good, Julian. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. For people who aren't familiar with Gorilla76 and uh, you, can you give us a little background for what you guys do and what you work on? Yeah, uh, my name is John Franco. I'm a co-founder at Gorilla76. To put it as simple as possible, we're an industrial marketing agency really focusing on manufacturing, uh, the manufacturing space. A little background on me, I'm, I'm from the St. Louis area. Uh, I graduated from college in 2005, started Gorilla basically in 2006 as a, as a side business. And today we're, I think we're getting ready to hire number 23. And we're kind of really specialized in this industrial niche. And every day is an adventure when you own a business. So um, things are good. Things are hectic. Things are crazy. But I, I couldn't be happier with where we are right now. So we want to talk a little bit about hiring writers because it's probably one of the first content marketing hires that you make for a content team. And I think it's a struggle. First of all, I think it's hard to find good writers. And then second of all, I think you got to be really careful in vetting people and figuring out what is a good fit. So just a little context for people. Can you talk a little bit about um, what kind of writers you guys hire and what they do at Gorilla? Yeah. So in terms of what they do, it's, it's a lot of long form writing at Gorilla from blog posts to white papers to uh, working with our videographer. And I, I don't want to say video scripts, but thinking through how a, a video case study might play out. Uh, it's some, it's some, some social here and there, but it, it, in the, it, it's a lot of long form writing when I, I, so I was a trained copywriter, but my, the type of copywriting I was doing was, was much different. It was your traditional print ad, um, headline body copy, kind of like that David Ogilvy style of, of, of writing. That's what I did short form, it's shorter than what Ogilvy did most of the time, the types of writers we're hiring like I said, need to be really, really strong in the long form. And so where, where I go and look for, for talent, typically, not always, but typically it's, it's not the ad schools or the portfolio schools or kind of the creative schools. It's the schools with good, or it's, it's people with good journalism backgrounds. Um, if, if we're hiring someone straight out of school, we're, we're looking at places like the University of Missouri at Columbia, which has a great journalism program. Or if we're, you know, looking for somebody with some experience, you, you, you look to the local newspapers, a um, couple years of experience. A magazine is also a great space, but people who can really tell a story long form, who can 
take something I think journalists are really, really strong at is, is they're good at taking something they know nothing about a lot of times, learning about it and writing about it at a, a level that other people can understand. And when you work in the space that we work in, where it's a lot of really complicated subject matter, it's super important to have people that can kind of distill, distill something into something that is digestible. I'm just curious how you, how you find those people. Like, how do you get the right people to, in your pipeline? Like, how do they find you or how do you find them? Yeah. So two years ago, or even, well, let's say two years ago, my answer would be a lot different than it is now. My answer two years ago would have been they come to us and and they really do. We we keep our job postings open at all times. Um, we're very transparent about that. We're very transparent if we are hiring or if we're not, and we're just preparing for the day we are. But I think we had started to create a lot of really strong um, kind of employer branding, and and people had had identified us as a place that we take our core values seriously. We try to try to make our like leave an impact in the community. And I think people were seeking us out. And so I would have, let's say I was hiring for a writer. I might start when it's time to hire, I might start with 150 to 200 applicants right from the start. Now, the problem with a writing candidate or a writing job is because everyone knows how to use Microsoft Word or or can figure it out in about two seconds, um, everyone's convinced they can be a writer. We would have the same problem with design if like design programs weren't actually difficult to use. But so, so where I'm going with that is out of 150 to 200 applicants, you might have 20 that are like, okay, let's let's get on the phone and, and let's kind of do that first round screen. Now, fast forward to today, where a lot of the power is in the uh, in the in the candidates' hands right now. It's it's kind of a market that um, you know they are. They, the great resignation is is definitely taking place. People are jumping left and right. Um, it's 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 we're we're having to seek people out a little more now. Um, peruse LinkedIn, look through LinkedIn profiles, reach out to people. Um, but you know, we still get a good amount of people coming in through the candidate pool. Which you know, once a job is live, I typically run some some paid LinkedIn promotions. But outside of that, I mean, we'll post on social. We'll, we'll share with kind of that group we have. We we have a we have a few contacts. We always like email to say, hey, we're looking. Like, do you know anybody that's looking? People are kind of connected. So, you know, and another major thing that's changed is just like we're doing this remote. A lot of our work is remote now, so I don't have to have people in St. Louis anymore. Uh, that has also changed in the past two years. It's made us realize, like, look, if we can all dial in from Zoom across the city, I mean, we can do it across the world. I mean, you're in Germany right now, I'm in St. Louis, and and we're having just a fine conversation. So it's changed a lot. The short answer, I guess, is we are now seeking, we, we are now doing a little headhunting of our own, a little more than we probably were in the past. But that, that could change again with the job market. I, I think it's just the kind of the season we're in right now. Yeah. Thanks. That's make, that makes a ton, a ton of sense. And also interesting to, to hear that that has changed because I remember when I was there, it was mostly inbound and we were, yeah. we were doing a pretty good job at that. Yeah. When, so yeah, I, John, when, when you do cold outreach, I'm curious, like, how does that work for you? Like, first of all, how do you look? I'm guessing you use a tool like sales navigator or something like that, or maybe the employer tool, the, um, yep. the talent tool on LinkedIn. I'm just curious, like what, like very tactically, what criteria do do you punch in to reach the right people, and then what message do you reach out with? Yeah, I think it's it's searching jobs 
job descriptions around kind of the the terms like what you would call the the job um content writer copywriter um you kind of need to look at it from a kind of a variety of different aspects a lot of times i'll just go straight to the to different newspaper publications and see who's writing for them um i'd be lying if i said that i don't look at other agencies and see who's writing for them and if i think i have a compelling offer i reach out to them i i know people do it to my employees so i i think it's just part of the game um i don't like to be deceptive i like people to know what they're signing up for our job is a really difficult position there's no doubt it's it's a smaller company so i always kind of say like it's it, you can't really you got to be good to work at Gorilla, and that's not that's not us patting ourselves on the back. I mean, we do take pride in hiring really talented people, but because we're small, there's really nowhere to hide. Like there might be at a massive company, um, you have to be ready to hit the ground running right from the beginning. Whereas you know other companies, you might get six months of training before you're expected to really do the job. So to to go back and and answer your question, I mean, yes, a lot of LinkedIn, a lot of just searching the job titles. Um, a lot of kind of reaching out to to people that I, I've connected with over, over the years, people who I've flagged that have applied previously for jobs who maybe just weren't ready yet. It, it's kind of a mixed bag of, of how we look for that talent. Yeah. One last follow-up on your cold outreach, John. Um, you mentioned you kind of let them know up front that it's a pretty tough job, which I think is the right thing to do because sooner or later they're going to find out and you'd yeah. rather have them find out early. Um, I'm just curious. Do you tell them up front? Like, do you let's say you you find them, you connect with them, you say, "Hey, it's John from Gorilla. We're hiring. Yeah, it's a pretty tough job." Obviously, you don't say that, but yeah, I'm just no, curious how strength. you handle it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, I, I, I think it's, yeah. We just say, "Hey, this is this is a good gig. It's a, uh, it's going to be a challenge." Um, you know, I, I always let them know about the benefits and what the pay might look like. And I also just kind of leave it at like, look, if, if you just want to kick the tires, that's fine too. It doesn't mean that like by talking with me, you're, you're committing or, you know, even when I worked at other places, I was always open to, to talking to other employers. I mean, you're crazy if you're not, because you are, I, it's crazy for me to say this being on the end of the business owner, but as an employee, you owe your company really nothing. Um, I mean, you owe them for what they're paying you for and to do your job well, but um, I can promise you that business owners are looking out for the best interests of the business. So as an employee, you need to look out for the best interest yourself. So, you know, when I send that email, I always just kind of leave it like, look, like if you just want to learn a little bit more, let me know. Happy to jump on a call. If not, that's totally fine. Um, and most people are really receptive. Most people, even if they're totally happy, they'll, they'll tell me like, look, I'm really happy where I am. I don't see myself leaving, but I always like to new, know about new opportunities and I might know someone who's a better fit. That just recently happened. I reached out to a different position, but a we're looking to get our buddy Randall some design help. And we don't need a full-time person, need kind of a part-time person. So there's a contact I have at WashU. She's a sophomore student, insanely talented. Um, I, I think she would be perfect for the type of work we need. We could have her for a couple of years, good paying job. But she basically was just like, look, school has me super busy. I'm studying abroad next semester. I don't think I'll be the best fit, but I know several people in my design program who will be or who could be. So it's like, perfect. Let, let me know. So when you reach out, you might, you might be reaching out with one intention, but you may get, you know, there may be a, by happenstance, a completely different result that's, that's just as, as beneficial, I guess. 
For sure. And uh, I think one one of the first things that people do when you reach out to them is they probably go check out Gorilla, right? Oh yeah. Which brings for us sure. back to the which brings us back to the first thing you said, which is employer branding, which I think is kind of hard to to specify. And some you know some people listening to this might be content marketers, and they say, well, it's really an HR or talent topic. But I think it's it's also about how you talk to people and kind of describe your own values within your team. You know, if you're in a bigger company. I think you can still own your your team brand if you want to if we want to call it that. Absolutely. Or, you know, you manage those people, so they need to get a sense of: Are you going to take care of them? Are you going to build them up? Are you going to you know stand up for them if they're if they're not being treated fairly by others? Um, so I do think it's an important topic that people shouldn't put to the side. I'm just curious, like, uh, tell us more tactically employer branding at Gorilla, and I know it's not like something that you can do from. Yeah, from today to tomorrow, you can go implement it because I know at Gorilla, it's something that's really lived in the in your core values. It's not just it's something ta- that you put on the website. It's taking time, but it's taking time. But there are things I think you can do immediately, and and it blows my mind that people don't do it. Um, first of all, you hit on something that's that's tied to this, but I just want to make sure we talk about it at some point in this discussion. But hiring to your core values, like that is how you find that's how you build good culture and that's how you find i mean there's a lot of people that can write well but if they don't match up to your core values it's not going to be a good fit so so that's that's kind of its own piece of the puzzle but i think in terms of the employer branding i see it all the time where i mean with a lot of clients we work with like they'll have this beautiful website and all this stuff and then you'll go to their careers page and it will like literally be the one like government mandated paragraph about you know, equal employment opportunities. And then there'll be a button that says click here to apply. And then it'll take you to some external site, which is typically kind of crappy if I'm being blunt. And it's like, I'm not learning about the culture. I'm not seeing pictures. I'm not, I don't know what it's like to work there. I'm not hearing from the employees. I don't know anything about the benefits. And so with Gorilla, like on our careers page, I mean, it's, it's old to be honest and it kind of needs a refresh, but we just try to show what our culture is like try to show the restaurants that are nearby to our office. Obviously that's different now that we are hiring remote, but um, wanted to tell the story of our neighborhood, wanted to show pictures from our Instagram feed of what it's like for when our company gets together. Uh, we wanted to show that we're much more than what some ad agencies are, which I think is a ping pong table and, a, and an endless beer fridge. And that's what they call culture. Every, every kind of question we have in our interviewing process ties back to our core values in, in some way or another. Um, I think about like showcasing our benefits. We're, we're getting ready, excuse me, we're getting ready to move our handbook online. Um, so that is, that's, that's something else we're, we're kind of pulling back the curtain on and saying, just look, this is what it's like to work at Gorilla. So I think when, like, in terms of those things that people can start doing right now, though, it's, it blows my mind. I'll get on Glassdoor for another company and they'll have like two reviews they were completely unsolicited. So what happens when people write unsolicited reviews? It's typically because they're really upset or maybe they're really happy, but more often than not, I think people typically voice their opinions when they're really upset versus when they're really happy. So you'll get on someone's glass door. It's a perfectly fine company to work with. They'll have two reviews and it'll be like, you know, 1.5 stars out of five. And you're like, this doesn't look good. This doesn't look good at all. And instead what we've done is simply Typically about six months after somebody starts at Gorilla, I reach out. Well, right after they get hired, I ask them, hey, would you be willing to write a review about your interview experience? 
I, I don't follow, I tell them no obligation. I don't follow up with them on it. I just ask that one time. And then at about six months, I ask them to write a review about what it's like to work at Grillo on Glassdoor. Again, no obligation. It's anonymous. I'm not going to know who it is. Now, in a smaller company, you can kind of sometimes figure it out if I'm being 100% honest. But people write reviews and they, they write that they're having a positive experience and they talk about the benefits and they talk about like maybe this was a tough part of the interview. This is so all of a sudden you start to create that, like build a data set over time of what it's like to work at your company. That's something that is so easy to do. It's simply baked into our hiring process. I have a task that reminds me to do that, but I don't see any, I, I hardly see any companies doing it. And whenever I talk to someone, when they call me, they're like, I'm so excited to talk to you because I saw your glass door and I'm blown away at the reviews. And I'm like, it's just easy, low-hanging fruit that, um, you know, I think people can start doing right away. I think getting an Instagram page up and running where it's, you're not trying to sell your product, at least in our space, in a professional services space. Like I'm not, I'm probably not going to get a, a sale for you know, our, our phase one implementation by posting on Instagram. I mean, I'm not going to say it's never going to happen, but instead I use that channel to kind of communicate what it's like to work at Gorilla. Um, another thing that we've done is, is getting more of our people to write thought leadership content on LinkedIn. It's amazing how many people I interview that will see that content and be like, I want to be a part of that team. Like these are the thought leaders I want to, and this is not difficult stuff. This is stuff we're talking about all day, every day in our normal jobs or in our everyday jobs. And we're just talking about it online. And it, it really positions both us as a company and our employees and their personal brand. It, it, it boosts both up. So, you know, I think there are just simple things that people can do to communicate. Like we really are practicing what we preach. Uh, we, we, we live up to our core values and we're trying to build the best team possible. I love that. And yeah. I think the thing is too, you don't even know if you don't have a, a buttoned up glass door, it's probably one of the first things that people thinking about applying are looking yeah. at. And you don't even yeah. know how many people you lose out on if your glass door is shit yep. and they never end up applying. You just see what comes through. And I mean, for you guys that you hear the praise and you know that people are not being held up by it, but I think a lot of other people lose out because their glass door is not in a good place. Yeah. Another thing we do that I think is kind of counterintuitive, especially now in a market where it's hard to find talent. We have made our application really thorough. Um, we ask a lot of questions and they're, they're not yes, no questions outside of like, are you legally authorized to work in the United States? That's pretty much the only yes, no question we have. And what I have found is you can quickly weed out the people who are just filling out as many applications as possible. And the ones who really want to work for your company. I also have heard from numerous applicants. I mean, it's amazing how many applicants that will send me a note that, that say, thank you for this thorough application process. I can tell I'm getting into a place that's, or I'm trying to get into a place that's very thoughtful, um, very careful with how, how they hire and that, you know, they're not just looking to put a body in a seat right now. Um, so, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because you would think, well, we should make it as easy as possible right now because it's tough to find people, but it's, it's actually like, you want to just find the right people, right? It's like, it's like leads and for, for you guys at Balto or, or leads at, at Gorilla. It's like, I would rather have one good lead than a hundred average leads. Like give me good leads all day long, because that's ultimately what's, it's going to be more efficient. It's going to, it's just going to be a, it's going to be better for everybody involved. 
That's also a perfect transition into the next kind of question I wanted to ask you about your process. So tell, tell me more about what kind of questions, questions you ask. Cause I'm curious, you know, I think one of the tough things obviously is getting people in the pipeline. We talked a little bit about that, but then it's also about, you know, quickly weeding out the people who are not a fit and then walking the others through the process and figuring out, is it a fit for them? Is it a fit for you? And I think that that process that Gorilla has is, is a really strong one. So I'm curious yeah, if you thanks. can share I'm, the questions that you guys ask. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm admittedly having to cheat right now and look them up because it's been a minute <laughs> since I've, I've looked at the writer-specific questions. And of course, things aren't loading properly right now. Um, now would be a great time to hear from our sponsors, Julian. <laughs> yeah, if you do want to sponsor the podcast, this is a good time to start. No, I mean, so it, it's it's slow to re- load, but we always ask like, what is your, you know, we'll have a question around the philosophy on content marketing. Um, you know, how did you learn what you've learned? Like, what is content marketing to you? A lot of questions around that. We'll have some questions around what people read. I think this is a ridiculously important uh, question for for writers is what do you read? If they say, well, I don't really read much, that's a major red flag for me. Um Okay, my it, it loaded finally. Let's see here. Let's see, apply for this job. Okay, so what social channels do you regularly use? Honestly, that one's probably a little outdated. Um, I don't. That's not really something we're that concerned about right now. We're doing less and less like organic social media. Pretty much the social we're doing now is paid. All right. The question just: Are you skilled in long form writing? If they answer yes to this, and that's it. Well, that's probably a red flag. Like we're asking about, are they skilled in long form writing? And I want to see them explain to me why. What about Gorilla 76 interests you? Again, just wanting to learn more about what they find interesting about the company. If it's, oh, I love your benefits and that's it. Well, that's probably a red flag. I want to hear that they're fascinated by how things work and what the like American manufacturing means to, to our country or, or whatever. I mean, you know, insert location wherever. And, you know, they just want to know more about that. Uh, why should we schedule an interview with you? I mean, I've had people respond because I'm the best. Okay, well, that's great. You're not getting an interview. Like, <laughs> I want to hear more. Um, let's see here. This this position requires a lot of writing. Are you comfortable with that? Please elaborate. Typically, this is where people are going to go into more detail about, well, I've been writing for the school newspaper for the past two years, or ever since I was in high school, I was, I was constantly writing in my spare time. I mean, they're going to tell some sort of story here that elaborates more on their love for writing. Uh, what do you read? Please be specific. Again, like I want to see the best writers I've ever had are voracious readers on top of it. I think about a couple that we have at Gorilla right now that have proven to be really, really strong writers. They read nonstop. They're always posting about books they're reading, et cetera. Let's see here. How do you exemplify our core values of results, improvement, relationship, kindness, and inclusivity? Again, like the people who are typically good applicants are writing in detail about each one of these core values. The ones that aren't, um, they're writing like a two th- sentences, three sentences. Hey, I'm a really, I'm a really nice guy, and um, I have friends that are from all different religions. Like that's how they're going to answer it, and it, it's like so much more than that. Like we all know that. Um, being good at your job is a lot more more in depth than that, and being an inclusive person is a lot more than that. And again, all those core values that we have are, are you need to be able to kind of dive into them, I guess. So those are like the main questions. Um, we also, before they can even do that portion, you know, we're asking for 
like a blog or portfolio site. If you're a writer and you can't show writing samples at this point and you don't have it online, that's a red flag to me. I, I can't imagine a world where you wouldn't have writing samples in some capacity. I mean, even for other positions, even client success, even strategists, like you need a way to show your body of work. If you're not doing that, either you weren't trained properly if you're coming out of school, because I can't believe schools wouldn't be teaching kids that they have to have this, or you're not staying up with the times if you are like in the working world. You know, I, there are times where maybe it's like, they'll say, hey, I'll just email you a PDF of all my work. That That's fine. But I mean, really, at this point, you should, if you're serious about your career, it, it's really hard to imagine not having some sort of online presence. Yep. LinkedIn profile, obviously. Another thing I look for is when I get on LinkedIn is, is this somebody with like seven connections that doesn't really take their LinkedIn serious? Or is it someone with 250 or more connections? Maybe once a month at a minimum, they're writing some sort of content on LinkedIn showing that they are a very a person that's very interested in whatever their craft is. Uh, now, when you're hiring a journalist, maybe they're not spending a ton of time on LinkedIn, which is fair because that's not really where journalists hang out. But in some way, you want to identify that thing that shows that, you know, whether they're going to like the press association meetings or they're active in some clubs or whatever, shows that they are very interested in th their 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 professional line of work. And then of course you ask uh, college and university highest education obtained, which honestly like that anymore, I, you know, I, if I'm just being hundred percent honest, I've never checked anyone's transcripts. I've never even checked to see if someone graduated <laughs> from where they said they graduated. Like I, I probably should just to make sure someone's being honest, but I honestly don't care. Like all I care is that they can do the work. I don't care if they, um, you know, I, I, I don't care. I don't care if they went to Yale or Princeton or if they went to a local area college, dropped out, but still went on to be a great writer. Like, that's all I care about is that they can write. So what happens What happens after they pass that initial check, um, which I, I love, by the way, because I feel like it's one thing I definitely messed up. I think I try to fill my funnel with as many people as possible. And I yeah. think it wasted a lot of time for me down the line where I could have just talked to the few really good ones, but you know, I tried to really force it and it didn't work yeah. out that way. So I love that. I love so that process. Our, a quick look at our process. Basically, someone applies. At some point, I'm going to be the first person that looks at them that says yay or nay. And I'm basically looking to just get the ones that need to get out, out. Once it's time to actually hire, I'm going to go back and look through anybody we have in the database database as well as anyone coming in. And I'm going to start looking in a lot more detail. Okay. This person for this particular range is in our pay range. They have the right amount of experience. This is someone I want to talk to. So I send them an email and say, Hey, you have 15 minutes to chat. We talk for 15 minutes. I typically just ask, you know, tell me more about yourself, how you got to where you are, turn it over to them to ask any questions, typically 15 to 20 minutes. And then I kind of decide whether or not to then have the department head also reach out to that person for a similar conversation. If, if that happens and it goes well, then what we do is we move into our first round of kind of group interviews, which typically we're going to have on that first round, three, four, maybe five people. Kind of depends on what speed we need to move at. Um, it it kind of depends on a few factors. From there, they're typically going to go to a second round group interview. From there, if that goes well, I mean, you're probably looking at job offer pretty soon because we get pretty, we eliminate people pretty, I mean, the funnel starts like 
like you were saying, like a pretty wide funnel at first, but we narrowed down pretty quick by typically when it gets to that second round interview, we're probably only talking to two or three people uh, when it gets to that second group interview. And then when it's time for the offer, I always reach out to the person directly, talk to them, uh, present the offer, give them a couple days to decide, ask to know by a certain time. And, and you know, there, there are opportunities for them to screw up there. I mean, what one thing I always put in our interviewing process is opportunities for the candidate to drop the ball. Um, I always ask them to call me at a certain time uh, because what I want to see is if they have the personal responsibility to be on a client call at a certain time. If the client says we have a call at 1030, if you show up at 1033, it's not going to work because it's just not. And it doesn't mean that if somebody is three minutes late, I immediately eliminate them. But I do expect for them to acknowledge that, hey, I'm really sorry. I had a flat tire. Well, maybe they were just running late. Whatever. I'm not saying I'm looking for liars, but at least acknowledging it and um, being like, I'll do better next time goes a long way with me. So that's you guys still look. Go ahead. Sorry, John. Do you guys still do a skills test with writers? Because I know that's yes. always a contentious topic. Like, do you pay them? Do you do still ask for a skills test? What does that yeah, look like so for you guys? The, probably the best thing we've done is we have a few clients that are always willing to, to kind of let us do this. We will have the employee write a, or potential employee write an actual content piece for the client, potentially. They'll, they will interview the client about a a subject because interviewing is a, that's something we didn't touch on. That is a massively important part of the writing position is being a good interviewer. If you can't interview, you can't write content. I, I don't think. Um, but what we'll do is we will have the, the person write an actual content piece for the client. The client, you know, is it's typically free to the client. We do pay the writer. I mean, we'll figure out what the fair hourly rate is for whatever they're doing and we'll pay them. I mean, if it costs us 500, 750,000 bucks, that's fine, especially if it's going to be, well, A, a piece of content we could actually use and B, a really good glimpse at, is this person is this person suited for what we need? And and typically at that point, I, I don't know that anyone's ever written a content, I'm sure it's happened, but typically once we get there, it's that's just the icing on the cake. Um, that's that's kind of the thing that's like, all right, we we have confirmation. This is this is going to work. I don't. I do look at references, although I'll be honest, I've never had anyone give me a bad reference. Like, I've never had reached out to anyone to check a reference and then be, be like, yeah, you shouldn't hire that person. <laughs> like, it's so right. Yeah. Like, I think this is a much better way to tell. Like, hey, can this person do the job? Versus, let me call their former boss and ask because they're only going to give me the name of somebody who they think is good <laughs> and. You know, of course they're going to say, of course they're going to say nice things. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's super helpful, by the way. Um, yeah, we're good. I think I think doing that doing that skills test last as the icing on the cake is a really good way to put it. Um, yeah. So you're not wasting anyone's time and and asking a ton of people for the skills test. Um, John, sure. let me ask you one last question. I don't know if you can answer it, but I'll ask it anyways. What kind of uh, what kind of pay does a great good to great writer expect right now. So, and I know there's a lot of factors, you know, where they're living and and all, but just give us, yeah, give us a ballpark for for what you should. If I was starting a content marketing department at a company, which I think is kind of what this podcast is aimed towards, I think you can get, now I'm, I'm talking St. Louis, Missouri. So we're kind of low cost of living, but, but I found this consistent. I think, for 50 to 60K, 
you can get someone that can come in and run your content. That's going to be somebody with experience in the role. Um, journalists are notoriously paid a, a small amount of money. So a lot of times a journalist might be making, and, and again, I, these numbers are guesses, but they might be in the 30 to 40 K range and they've got a couple of years of experience. Well, all of a sudden you come in and offer a position with like normal working hours, great benefits, and it starts at like 50 K they're going to be pretty interested. I would guess. Now, if after they've gotten a year or two experience under their belt in their marketing world, their, their cost is going up. So, you know, I have, there, there's a woman I've connected with that I would love to hire, but she's six figures, like, and she commands six figures. She's, she's got 20 years of technical industrial writing experience. I mean, that's what she deserves. So, I mean, the, it, the pay, like, this is a great field to go in. Um, writing is such a skill that is I think underappreciated, but like needed so badly. If you can write well, I think if I'm starting a content department at a company or even just a, if I'm hiring an in-house marketer, I, I might look for the writing skill set before I look for anything else. Because I think the other things you can be taught, you can be taught to be a good writer, but it takes, it, it's tough. Um, I think it's a skill set that if somebody naturally has, that's a great person to start with. But to answer your question, I would say 50 to 60K, you can get somebody with probably three, four, maybe five years of content marketing experience and be in a really good place. Now, if you're a company in LA and you're trying to only hire LA talent or San Francisco or New York City, that number is going to be a lot different. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Um, John, any other hot takes, side notes that you know you think about or that came up in your head during this conversation about hiring writers? I'm curious. No, I think the biggest thing I'm learning is the importance of emotional intelligence with employees, um, especially as we get more into more um, AI type of services. I mean, there are, I now see ads advertise me, ad, advertise to me now that say like a robot wrote this ad and whatever. So the one thing we can't really teach robots at this point in time is emotional intelligence. Um, so I think looking for that in employees is incredibly important, especially as we navigate the crazy world we live in the past two years have been absolutely upside down and in a million different ways, not just COVID. I mean, there's a million things going on. So I think looking for people that understand empathy and, and just are emotionally intelligent people, I think is, is a skill that, that is going to be worth more and more in all fields, but in writing, especially these are people who have to talk to your clients maybe, or talk to customers and they need to interview. They need to be, they need to be, come across as good people. Um, it doesn't mean if you don't have a ton of emotional intelligence, you're not a good person, but I think those people are appreciated more and more now than they ever were before. John, I think that's a good note to close out on. Appreciate you coming yeah. on, man. And uh, we'll have you back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Loved it. Thank you. All right.